Please do join me in, once again, taking out your Bibles and turning to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Here we are at week 15 of our series, A Life of Sanity in a World of Vanity. Um, Communication. Communication problems, communication difficulties between friends between church members, between siblings, between husband and wife. Uh, Whose problem is it? Is it the speaker or is it the hearer? Now, it's important to speak well, of course. In fact, we're going to be once again confronting with the call to speak well, to speak wisely. But it's also important to listen well. To, to listen, to, to understand, and to act. Now, remember this Old Testament reading from Proverbs 9? Uh, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly say the same thing. They say the same words. Remember, in, uh, and Rob alluded to it, uh, there's something similar going on in Mark 4 uh, and in Matthew And Luke, it's the parable of the soils. The same seed is sown. The same word is spoken. Remember, the disciples didn't get it. Jesus had to explain it to them. You know, there are four different outcomes. Why? Same word, four outcomes. Why? It's the type of the soil that the seed went into. It's the condition of the heart. Well, today's texts from Ecclesiastes are words to the wise, but they could also be seen, depending on the response, sadly, as words to the foolish. And the text is asking all of us, therefore, what kind of listener are you? What kind of listener am I? What kind of listener am I? Listeners are we. Let's pray. Father, as we just sang, we want you to lead us. We want you to teach us. Father, it's not just a want, it's an absolute necessity. We are desperate, Father. It's so easy to sing, lead me, Lord, lead me in my righteousness. Father, help us to follow you in your righteousness, the righteousness that is ours in Christ. Oh, Father, speak now. Your people are listening, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning, the preacher says, all is vanity. All is like a mist, a vapor, breath. It's fleeting, it's empty. At the end, his conclusion is once again, all is vanity. But right before he makes that last statement, he says that his work is having words of pleasure, words of pain, words that provide perspective, and that is fear God and keep his commandments, and words that call us to prepare for death and judgment. Ecclesiastes, as we've been seeing, helps us stay anchored to our calling. And what is that? To walk by faith 
not by sight, to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, not by sight in a sinful and fallen world, a world whether on the personal level or on the global scale is full of sin and misery, frustration, futility, difficulty, confusion, chaos. In the midst of this, Ecclesiastes is calling us to fear God. The preacher wants all of us to know that without God, life is empty. And with God, it is fulfilling. Now, Ecclesiastes, week after week, is presenting us chapter after chapter, verse after verse, with the hard reality of the little that we do know and the vast extent of what we cannot control. And we've seen that the more the preacher Solomon looks, the more he struggles to make sense of his world. Ecclesiastes does not claim to have all the answers, nor does it have all the answers. But it helps us to know, to love, to serve God, even when we don't have all the answers. It helps us to ask the right questions. It helps us to walk by faith and not by sight. Last week, when we were in chapter 9, verses 13 through chapter 10, verse 11, we saw that both wisdom and folly are powerful. And in his observations and his evaluations, the preacher commends the power of wisdom and he condemns the power of folly. It reminds us that there really are two ways to live, wisely or foolishly. And our text leans forward, just as all of the Old Testament scriptures lean forward to the arrival of Jesus, to the arrival of the Messiah. And our text in particular, last week we see lean forward to that declaration that, that Paul makes to Timothy when he says that the scriptures are able to make you, Timothy, or all of us, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus And in making us wise for salvation, the scriptures don't lead us to an idea. They don't lead us to a concept. They don't lead us to a belief, a program. They don't even lead us to a doctrine. Rather, the scriptures lead us to a person. Remember, Jesus says to the religious leaders, you think that in the scriptures you're going to have life. But the scriptures point to me and yet you refuse to come to me that you would have life. Ecclesiastes, as all of scripture does, points us to a person. The one in whom he says that we may have life. Now once again, our text is centered around wisdom and its ever-present opponent, folly. Uh, The preacher will continue to make observations and evaluations about wise lips, the wise employment of words, about wise leaders, the wise exercise of leadership, and finally, wise labor, the wise expenditure of effort. So let's pay attention and listen to a few words to the wise. Wise lips. We're going to look at verses 12 through 14, the second half of 15, and then 20. So let me go ahead and read verses 12 through 14. 
The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? Let's look first at just words. Words of the wise and words of the foolish. Um, It's a favorite, obviously, subject of the wisdom writers. Uh, Words have to do with the art of living. And we're seeing, once again, the right use and the misuse of words. Verse 12, the first part. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Win in favor is how the ESV translates it. You might see a note in your Bibles, are gracious. King James, the lips of a wise, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Gracious. Now, win him favor, it's a nice contrast to what's going to follow. And, and to be sure, favor means a good reputation. But interestingly, favor here is, is really the Hebrew word for, for grace. Uh, undeserved favor. And so the point that the preacher's making here is is not that wise words get us something from people, but rather wise words are going to enable us to give something to people. The words of a wise man win him favor are gracious. Let's think about that for just a moment. Uh, Gracious words spoken by someone who is slow to speak, who is, who is careful. Of course, Jesus reminds us that the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why Christian conversion, Christian discipleship, it's not skin deep. It goes to the very heart. It's the whole Sermon on the Mount It's not outward behavior only. Outward behavior is super important. But it doesn't stop there. It goes to the heart. A wise person speaks graciously. They are slow to speak. The wise heart loves God and loves people. The wise heart we see in Scripture is is humble, is true, is gentle, is loving. In other words... The wise person has the heart of Jesus and speaks words that demonstrate his grace. The the words of the wise man's mouth are gracious, are gracious. And I'm not talking about the southern expression, goodness gracious, or, oh, that was a gracious table setting. No, full of grace and truth, as John writes. Remember We read in Luke 4 that people marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Jesus not only spoke with authority, as we see at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the reaction, but people recognized that this rabbi spoke differently. He was gracious in his speech. And yet that sets up the contrast. Look at the end of verse 12. But the lips of a fool consume him consume him I think it's King James they eat him up they're self-destructive we all know that 
not only in looking at other people's lives, we know that looking in the mirror at our own lives. As self-protective as we are, it's amazing how self-destructive we can also be through our words. And interestingly, he's going to give a specific example of kind of the self-destructive words of a fool, and they come at the end of the chapter. Look with me at verse 20. Even in your thought, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. See, the words of a fool can come back to haunt him or her, to hurt him or her. The expression here, of course, has to do with the walls have ears, right? And a little bird told me. I couldn't help but think of the micro-blogging app Twitter, right? What is its symbol? It's a little bird. And my friends, when you, when you hit send on that, I think there's no editing version, right? You can only delete something that you've sent out before, but it's out there. And it's retweeted. And in a moment of time, it can go everywhere. I mean, did the founders of Twitter in the San Francisco Bay Area, were they really familiar with Ecclesiastes 10.20? And said, aha, there is a biblical basis for our symbol. I mean, Apple has a biblical basis, right? I mean, look at it. It's got the bite out of the apple, the fall of man. Be careful what you say. I can just now think of mothers in times past with those little rhymes about be careful little lives of what you say. I don't even remember those. I obviously wasn't listening well to my mom. But be careful what you say. Because for people like me who like to be in control and who doesn't want to be in control, right? As soon as words leave your lips, they are out of your control. People can do whatever they want to with what you've said, what you've written by hand, what you've typed on a word processor. Interesting, right? Even in your thought, not just you're in your bedroom and you're talking out loud, in your thought. Setting up what? For the Sermon on the Mount, maybe? Not only are the words of a fool self-destructive, but the words of a fool go from bad to worse. Look at verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. It moves from the city, the silly to the downright dangerous and destructive. And when the word expression evil madness, you're looking at moral depravity. You're looking at a mental disability. The words, the end of his talk is evil madness. You think silly talk, unchecked, doesn't lead to things? I mean, gravity, right? Water flows downhill. Foolishness, unless it's checked, unless it's interrupted by wisdom, unless it's stopped and the, 
and is intervened by the grace of God, foolishness just keeps going downhill. The words of a fool are many. Look at the beginning of verse 14. A fool multiplies words. The words of a fool are many. I'm so thankful for the people in my life that can tell me in a gracious, kind manner to shut up. Because sometimes I think, well, if I just say more words, it's going to have an effect. Yeah, it has a bad effect. A fool multiplies words. The words of a fool are arrogant and presumptuous. Look how 14 continues. Though no man knows what is to be. I mean, it's like he's talking about the future. What's going to happen? He's prognosticating. He's a pundit. He's, he's speaking out of his league. He, he, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The words of a fool are arrogant, presumptuous. He's unable to back up his unable to back up with knowledge or action. He's opinionated. He's a big talker. And yet he presumes to know the future. You know, there are things, as we've been saying, to be certain about. Absolutely. The truth of the gospel, who Jesus is, the person and work of Jesus, the, the spirit, God, there the gospel, there are certain things that we absolutely are certain about. But a lot of other things are educated guesses. And the humility to be able to distinguish between the either or and the, and the both and. And the humility needed to, to say, I don't know. Where does that come from? And the words, finally, and work of a fool reveal that he is absolutely and totally lost. Listen to verse 15. We'll look at the first part in a moment. But the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. The words of a fool reveal he is absolutely and totally lost. It's the kind of person who gets the simplest of things wrong. Derek Kidner in his commentary says this, speaking of this man, he would get lost, we might say today, even if you put him on an escalator. The picture here is a man who makes things needlessly difficult for himself by his stupidity. He can't even find his way to the city. Well, let's move from the wise employment of words to the wise exercise of leadership as we take up the matter of wise leaders. The wise exercise of leadership, verses 16 and 17. Join with me as I read those two verses. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, When your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. 
Leadership, of course, can be a blessing to people or a curse to people. And these verses remind us of the influence that seeps down from those at the top. Because those at the top, whether it's a military unit, whether it's a company, whether it's a family, those at the top really do set the tone. Now, the, the PCA, for instance, prides itself, I think rightly, on being a grassroots denomination. Like, not as much hierarchy as other denominations, but it, it, local congregations, uh, self-governing, uh, but connected to one another. You know, things bubble up from the grassroots. Uh, but here, and speaking of leadership, it's talking about those at the top, those responsible. Uh, Trickle-down economics. Remember the debates about trickle-down economics? Was it voodoo economics maybe? But think about the truth of trickle-down blessing. You have a wise leader who speaks graciously, who can distinguish between the ultimate and the not important. That trickle-down is a great thing. It's a blessing. But woe to a land, woe to a people led by a fool. Look at verse 16. Foolish government here is a curse. It's not talking about the age of the ruler, but the maturity of the ruler. When Solomon, right before he asked for wisdom to rule God's people, he said, I'm a child. In other words, I'm immature. Lord, I don't know. I need wisdom. And yet his son Rehoboam, although 41 when he began to rule, as we know, had no idea what he was doing and caused great harm. This picture here in verse 16 is of instead of getting up in the morning to serve, to to build up the country, the kingdom, to defend the country, they get up to drink. They get up to have a, a feast which is proper in its right time. But so destructive here in the wrong time. But yet there's a blessing to the land, blessing to the people when they are led by a wise man. Wise government is a a blessing. Um, Happy are you, blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. There's a proper time and a proper purpose for a feast. Self-control, self-discipline, sobriety, a mature leader, a wise leader versus an immature and foolish leader. And I think we can tell pretty quickly what leaders make it all about them And what leaders know that they are called to serve others. But before we just move on from nations and kingdoms, uh, think about this on the personal level. We are called to govern ourselves. Govern ourselves wisely. Self-control, a fruit One of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. You fast now and you feast later. 
So the preacher has addressed the subject of work and labor before. And so we're going to move on from wise leaders to wise labor, the wise expenditure of effort. Look with me back at verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him. Even when he works, the the labor of the fool is wearisome. He, He gets worn out by his work, not because he's working hard, but because he's fooling around. Again, he's a man who makes things needlessly difficult for himself by his stupidity. I think it was a week or two ago, quoted from the movie, The Sands of Iwo Jima, a Marine sergeant tells a a young Marine, life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. The preacher is addressing the same thing. The, 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 The fool is lazy. He doesn't want to work. He fools around. And, and, and without labor, the house falls apart. We read in verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. His neglect leads to destruction. It's an image of fatal decay. Uh, the fool is lazy. The fool is slothful. It's a deadly sin. It destroys relationships. It destroys families. It destroys churches. Here the fool has got a great sense for entitlement. And he's got little sense for responsibility. He's worn out by his work, not because he's being responsible and working hard. He's worn out from his work because he's avoiding it. And it takes a lot of energy and effort to avoid work. Uh, Any of you struggle with procrastination? Yeah, I spend a whole lot of energy avoiding doing something hard than I would have just doing something hard, right? I think we're all like that. And yet, contrary to this labor of the fool, look at the labor of a wise man. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. It's a contrast here to the lazy fool. It's the wisdom of hard work versus the folly of lazy ease. Um, I think they still make them, but when I was growing up, lazy boy, lazy boy chairs. I mean, if you could save up enough money for the lazy boy chair, you had made it. Is that company still around? Probably, yeah, because there's enough customers that are attracted to lazy boy chairs. And yet, it was the hard worker, right, who earned the money to buy the chair. Every gift has its use, and money is a gift that's very versatile. Uh, Scripture clearly says don't worship money, don't trust money, but by all means, use it. Use it for the good of your neighbor. Provide for your family. Provide for the church. Provide for the community. Don't worship it. Don't trust it. But by all means, use it. So we've seen in these verses the contrast between wisdom and foolishness. We've seen the contrast and and we've heard the call to be wise. 
Do you see the contrast? Do you hear the call? Charles Spurgeon said this, the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of our own ignorance. To grow in, our, to grow in wisdom, we, we first of all have to admit not only our lack of knowledge, but our folly. Only then will, be, will we be ready, willing, and able to grow in the wisdom that God provides. So we've seen briefly the wise employment of words, the wise exercise of leadership, and the wise expenditure of effort. Uh, I want to circle back around to finish where we began with this question. When it comes to communication, whose problem is it? Does the speaker need to adjust the speaking on a human level, yes, at times. I know I am not as clear and concise in what I say, so I need to adjust. But a lot of times it's the, the listener who, who needs to adjust his or her hearing. And, and to answer that question, let's go to the end of a well-known sermon, the world's most famous sermon and the world's most misunderstood sermon. Let's go to Matthew Chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When it comes to God's word, God does not need to adjust his speaking. His word is truth. His word is life. When it comes to us and God's word, we're the ones that have to adjust our hearing. Listen to verse 24 through 27. Everyone... And this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. You've got a wise builder and you've got a foolish builder. Whose problem is it? Let's think for a moment about the authority of Jesus as we continue with those next two verses. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus spoke words, gracious words, and words of authority. Something distinguished him from the scribes, from the Pharisees, from the religious leaders and teachers. He had what John says, full of grace and truth, right? Gracious authority. Again, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and, I, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Refuse 
to come to Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, you come to a person, a person who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus, you see, Paul writes to the Colossian church and to us, Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. My friends, Jesus has come that we would have life, abundant life. He has come now. Let us come to him. Come to him to find rest. Come to him to find joy. Come to him to find life. Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded now of a song, I think from the late 60s, everybody plays the fool. There's no exception to the rule. Oh, Father, we make life so much more difficult for ourselves and for others when we play the fool. We exhaust ourselves and we frustrate others. Oh God, be pleased to deliver us individually, deliver this church from foolishness and help us to cling to Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Oh Father, when it comes to foolishness and wisdom, we believe, help our unbelief. Father, we know that he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So Father, may we be a people who walk with one another in wisdom, in love, in joy, in purpose, and in satisfaction with Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.